Hey there, folks. Rob Hessler here with my weekly episode of Art on the Air, my Savannah Morning News special. Thanks for tuning in. This is a great interview I've got for you this week. I spoke with Britton Dockery, joined by my co-host for the radio show, Gretchen Hilmers. We had a long conversation about this artist's work. Now, Britton is a surrealistic artist. He's self-taught. He's a Savannah native, and his work is really interesting. It's really good. Britton's work came to my attention via a Facebook ad. And although I had heard of him before and had seen his work before, it kind of wasn't really in my mind. And then I saw this ad and it reminded me to go check out his website and we ended up getting in touch and ended up writing this article. So we had a really interesting conversation about marketing and art and how he kind of learned how to do that and how he essentially contracted out his marketing and has had some really excellent results because of it. So I think other artists out there are really going to enjoy that. And if you're not an artist and you're just an art lover, you're going to really enjoy Britton talking about his surrealistic art. He's very genuine and our conversation got really, really deep and I think you're going to enjoy listening to it. Wanted to mention, as always, you can catch previous episodes of Art on the Air and my corresponding Art Off the Air column right here at savannahnow.com in the entertainment section. Been writing a whole lot for the newspaper lately, so you can catch a bunch of recent episodes, including my talk with Shelly Smith last week about her multitude of projects. And then previously, of course, I had Calvin Woodham as my guest. So check those out again, savannahnow.com in the entertainment section. But let's get to this interview with Britton Dockery. I know you're going to love it. Surrealistic painting talking about his process, his background, and his rivalry with Taylor. Enjoy. Rob Hessler and Gretchen Hilmers here with Art on the Air Field Notes, and we are speaking by Zoom today with Britton Dockery. And hey, Britton, we're going to get into all the details about you and your work and your surrealistic practice of painting. But first things I want to do is here, it looks like you're in your studio, and I've, I've apologized to our <laughs> listening audience. Where is your studio? Like, you've got a, I mean, that room is full of paintings. Yeah, it, it's right here at the house. I just I just paint in the room. That's the studio in and of itself. So I wake up, I paint, you know, I go out, come back, I paint, I sleep in it, I wake up and I paint and I repeat the process. That's very cool. I love being able to see the, you know, and then again, I, this is terrible for people because this is a radio interview. So people are only listening, but I like seeing the easel in the back and the painting on the, on the background. And I just see all of these paintings lined up. They're in a stack sort of mm -hmm. in the back behind you, very well organized. But look, I want to kind of take a step back before we went on the interview, started this interview, we were talking about how you're a, a rare breed here out of the artists that I often talk to in that you are a Savannah native and you're self-taught as an artist so i want to kind of talk about those two things because you know reading a bit doing some research on you and and reading your bio you started work really doing art as a, when you're about six years old so let's kind of go back to that how did you get started in the arts did you have a family that were inspiring you or were you just kind of drawn to did you have a natural talent where did that all kind of start where did that come from i want to say it started like in the first, second grade around that time frame. And uh, the thing was in the classroom that I was in, like 
it was cool to be able to draw. Like, if you could draw, you is considered cool. And one of the things that everybody in the classroom used to watch was, you know, uh, the big three at the time uh, were like Dragon Ball Z, Pokemon, and Digimon. Like, those cartoons. But we mainly used to always draw, like, Dragon Ball Z. And it's like, it, it was probably about six or seven of us. And uh, there was always one dude. His name was Taylor. He, he could always draw better than me. But, uh, like, he was like a rival. Like, every day in class, we had to, like, dr uh, draw something that started with a specific letter. Because, you know, we were learning the alphabet. Mm. And we'd always somehow find a, find a way to make it about Dragon Ball Z. And, <laughs> and, and it's like... That's really what got me into drawing right there. It was Dragon Ball Z. That's so cool. You know, it's so funny. I'm 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 a bit older than you. Uh, and I'm not going to say how much older than I am of you, but but um let's just say you were one when I graduated from high school. But the uh <laughs> But I but what I think is funny is that I heard you you were saying like there's the the people that could draw were cool. I remember that too, but for me it was Transformers. And there was a kid yeah. God, I can't remember his name, but this kid could draw, he could draw some Transformers and they were like, he was so cool. Like everybody want, you just wanted, like, yeah. wanted, want, I mean, people wanted his drawings, you know I mean? Like, I'm sure they weren't all that great, but when you're talking about first or second grade, like those, those were, those were great. And I remember we would like want to be better than this, than this kid that could draw the, um, draw the Transformers. That's kind of funny. I love that competition. Cause like, you know, we're competitive, but you, you know, people think, you know, when they think of competition, they think of like sports or, or, you know, to get an A or whatever, but like art competition exists. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny because it's like, I knew he was just, I just knew he could draw better than me. It's like, I never would say it, but I'm like, God, and like, I'm, I'm definitely the second best, but he's definitely the best. Like, <laughs> and, you know, it just is, it just, I was like, it just is what it is. Oh, it gives you motivation though to continue on. So, like, okay, so you you again, you're self-taught artist, and obviously you're you're not doing surrealism and when you're six, seven years old. But a thing like Dragon Ball Z, there's a lot of fantasy. You know, there's a lot of you know, it's creating this fantastical world. There's these creatures that really only exist in our minds and our imaginations. So, how did that kind of happen? That transition between you know drawing things that other people other people's ideas like cartoons and things like that to starting to say you know what i'm i'm gonna start really developing ideas that are coming from my own imagination because right now i mean the work that you do these days is it's so fantastical and it's so unique and so interesting like where did that kind of start happening where you started saying you know what i'm not gonna draw these characters from the show anymore i'm gonna start drawing my own characters and my own ideas and images so from that time of elementary school to about middle school, I'd say towards about the end of middle school, I was actually like just making my own comics. Like, you know, everybody knew I could draw Dragon Ball Z or whatever, you know, other character. But I just kind of started like just drawing like my own comic book. And like that's really like my ultimate goal is like to make my own cartoons, you know. But uh, like that, 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 that's how it started. So, you know, up until about eighth grade, 
that's when art started to get a little bit serious because you know they were making a big deal about you know you're going to high school next year you right know, this was going on to school and you know everybody knew i could draw because like if we had to draw something in class like you know i could draw a lamp or whatever it was so when i got to high school that's like when i started noticing a little bit more about fine arts and uh, I want to say it was in Miss Morris class, my art teacher, where I discovered like who Salvador Dali was. Mm. And I was really fascinated like by his work because it was like, it, I, I felt like I was stepping into his world. You know, like, like man, he, he just paints whatever he wants to paint and it doesn't have to make sense. Uh, you know, between Dali, and MC Etcher, like those were like mm. the two gateways that really got me into the fine arts. Well, and especially because like M MC Etcher is the master, I think, of surrealistic drawing and Dolly in painting. And one of the things that's cool about both of them is that they create these individual pieces that have their own meaning and their own ideas as individual pieces, but it almost feels like they're part of consistent worlds. like there's an MC Escher world, like everything sort of feels consistent. There's a Salvador Dali world. And, um, and that's really cool. You know, I, uh, you know, I mentioned before we went on the show that I grew up in the DC area, there was a huge Dali exhibit, I think it was at the National Gallery of Art, when I was in college, right around in college. And I remember seeing that stuff in person. Oh, my God, that stuff is amazing. Like, the detail, yeah. the quality of it is really incredible. So you kind of started looking into that. So you start putting surrealistic elements like in your work around high school time then? Yeah. Yeah, it was around high school time because that like I, that's about the time I, you know, started getting introduced to Dolly and he he made me started thinking a little bit different. Cause you know, I was making that transition from drawing cartoon like comic books to drawing what's the best way to say it uh hmm i don't know how to say it but it it is it, 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 it's, it's a different kind of art when you go from making cartoon or comic book characters to making fine art yeah i don't want to denigrate comics in any way because i actually love comics and and graphic novels and all that kind of stuff but just a little bit more serious i think is kind of what you're getting at single compositions that are a little bit more yeah that's exactly it right there it's a single composition it's it's not multiple shots it's just one shot so okay so you know we've been kind of hitting on the self-taught aspect and so you know you you kind of get outside of the bounds of teachers kind of giving you instruction like you mentioned mrs morris and and you know kind of introducing you to, to dolly and you're sort of exploring and taking things in and obviously we all continue to learn for our entire lives it's not it doesn't end just because we're out of school but you know you get out of school and then you know you don't have the bounce like we don't have once we get out of school there isn't like an art class that says <clears throat> well you got to do x project and it's due on you know z day or whatever you got to like actually motivate yourself and so i was doing some research about you and then you mentioned that you were about 21 when you first kind of thought okay maybe i can pursue this as a career maybe i can actually be a professional artist talk about that kind of epiphany moment for you like what was it you know that sort of said to you you know what, I'm good enough, and this is something that I really feel like I have to do. It's an important part of my life. I need to pursue this as a professional endeavor. 
so when I turned 20, I want to say that was a rough year. I ended up getting jammed up. I was locked up for like six months. And I was thinking like, dang, like, you know, when you're locked up, you're just thinking about what you could have been doing or what you were supposed to be doing. I was just thinking about all the stuff I could have been doing. And after six months, I was like, man, I ain't trying to do that no more. Like, I, I think this is like, I think I'm going to like be serious. Like, I think this is my career. And I, I knew that's what I wanted to do because, you know, my mom used to always ask me, like, you know, what do you want to do for a living? And I'd say, well, you know, I want to be an artist. Okay, well, what does that mean? You know, and I never really could answer. But, you know, if she was asking me now, I'd tell her I want to be an artist. And she'd be like, well, what does that mean? I want to sell my work. I want to sell paintings and prints of my work. That's exactly what I want to do. And when I finally realized that when I got out, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. Wow, that's powerful. So you would say that it kind of changed the trajectory of your life to a certain extent, like deciding to go with, with art as being your, your, not only your career, but just like kind of the way that you live your life as an artist. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I want to kind of get into some of the details of your work because I think that this is, you know, so you say you want to sell your artwork. One of the things is that I think that you do particularly well, and this is one of the, so I've known about your work for a little while now, but recently you've been using Facebook advertising to get your work promoted, I guess you might say. And I've considered that as a marketing technique before, and I've we've used Facebook advertising for various things, for business ideas and stuff that Gretchen and I have had, and other things like that. But one of the things is that, and I and I thought it was, and I guess it, it worked because I did know about your work before, but then it kind of brought me back, like it brought you back into my mind. I was like, oh yeah, here's a guy that I've been wanting to talk to. Here's a guy whose work I'm interested in. Let me research it. And then that got me to go to your website and kind of like look at your work a little bit more and explore what you've got going on. So talk a little bit about the business side of art for you because since you are untrained, you didn't go to necessarily go to school for that. And like you said, your mom asked you like, well, what does that mean? You had to discover what that meant. So walk us through that process a little bit of discovering what it meant to be a professional artist and not just being somebody who's good at making artwork, but somebody who is not only good, but can also sell artwork and make a career out of it. So around that age of 21, when I finally was like, okay, like this is, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I had a cousin named Curtis and uh, he knows a good bit, you know, about marketing or at least enough to get me started. So uh, the surreal work I was doing around that time was, it, I guess you could say it almost looked like monster. So it was really dark and I didn't really know what it was. I, I was just doing something, you know, just creative. And basically he trained me to create something that someone else can appreciate you know because you know you can paint whatever you want to paint there's you know there's nothing wrong with that but uh at the end of the day if you want someone to buy this do you see this hanging on their wall you know and he, he give me an example like you know you can paint some call of duty scene right and you know that might look cool 
But if you're trying to sell it to someone who's willing to buy it and he's got little kids around, is he going to hang that on his wall? And, you know, we would also go on that discussion, like some things look better in a different format. So this Call of Duty war scene, it looks better in a video format. It wouldn't sound good in a song. <laughs> you know, and, you know, it looks okay in a picture, but it's like, that's a whole another kind of audience. Than right. What I was actually doing, you know. So, you know, he would be training me and, you know, we, we helped me understand what that meant. And then, you know, just going to the next level. And, you know, he would always tell me, like, so if I'm a professional artist, you know, I have to need professional marketing. And it's like the idea is, like, if you want to know more about marketing, you got to do what the professionals do. And the professionals, they go to school. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to go to school, then you're going to have to pay a professional and then become like an apprentice. And that's basically what I've been doing. So you've been working, you've been like studying marketing from other professionals. Has that kind of been your way of learning? Well, at first I just, uh, you know, was reading a lot of books. I still read books mm-hmm. and, you know, watching a lot of YouTube videos. But, you know, it got to the point where I was like, you know, if I keep doing the same thing, I'll keep getting the same results. So I decided to hire a professional, someone who, like, that's all they did. Like, that's what they went to school for. You know, just like I'm great at painting, like, that's what I know. I want to get someone, when it comes to marketing, that's what they know. And... I got to say, it's been a good investment. That's so awesome to hear. I love hearing that because I think it's underestimated. I think there's a certain idea that like we have to be able to do everything. I, I wanted to go back to your comment about the Call of Duty thing because it got me thinking about something I've thought about a lot of times about subject matter and how there are kind of two you, – you kind of differentiated between people might think something looks cool but then the people who will buy something, will they actually buy that? And I've had this philosophy for a while, this idea. It's, um, I call it the that's sick bro philosophy. Because what, happened, what I mean by that is that you'll post something up on the internet or on social media. And somebody will like comment on it and they'll be like, that's sick bro. And it's like that person doesn't buy artwork. That person just is looking for a cool image. And so we have to resist being influenced by those people convincing us that what we're doing is good because they make a comment that it's good and instead do what we know is like right for us in our career. You know what I mean? So like it's kind of an interesting thing because a lot of times, you know, and I found this in my own personal artistic careers, like the work that is really like the best, the most thoughtful, that that I spend the most time on isn't necessarily the most popular on social media because the really thoughtful like artistic collectors aren't necessarily typing in a comment on social media 
Whereas like the random followers will be like, yeah, man, I love this, you know, and it's, but it's not really like, that's not how you create buyers. And if you go to your website, Britain.com, which is where you have a great website, you've got testimonials. And if you look at the testimonial section of your website, it's all professionals who have bought your stuff. Like they're, it isn't the person who's buying a Call of Duty piece. It's like people who are like, you know, realtors and, you know, executives at their organizations and things like that. They're professional people because you are a professional artist. You know, I don't know if that's a connection that you've thought about, but it's something that I definitely noticed when I was looking at your site. Yeah. You know, another thing that I, I always try to keep in mind, like, you know, if there is a wife involved, no matter how much the guy likes to picture, if he doesn't think his wife will like it or she doesn't approve, you know, that's, you know, you always got to keep your wife in mind because he'll say, man, I, I just don't think my wife will let me hang that. So, you know, that's always something, uh, you know, I, I'll use to learn. Why is it always got to be the wife? <laughs> <laughs> the wife doesn't like it. It's, it's not going on the wall. We just make sure you all aren't sleeping on the floor with you know movie posters up on your wall uh eating frozen pizza every night okay <laughs> I, I i see it all the time if, if it's a wife involved she's gotta like the painting too oh so that's so funny because- i had a show in la a few years ago and this guy came up and he loved he liked my work a lot he was walking around and he's like he loved all these works and he's like i'm gonna go get my wife to see if she liked them and she didn't really like them so they didn't buy any work, but he loved them. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to point any fingers, but in that, and it could be the other way around. I'm not saying it doesn't have to be the husband or the whatever the wife, but it's definitely the spouse needs to play a, is going to play a role. You're putting it in somebody's house, and the kids, like you mentioned, like the kids are also going to play a role. What will that Im- impact the kids too? Yeah. So the marketing aspect is like a whole nother game, a whole nother game, and. You know, I split my time between painting and just reading up on marketing. But that's why I decided to hire a professional because it's like that would make my life a whole lot easier. I would be willing to pay for those results. And I have no problem paying for those results. I actually have a follow up to that because it's it's I work in kind of a niche field and that is retouching other photographers work. So they do a shoot and then they send it to me to do. And I always encourage people to go this route, not just because I'm like, hire me, but my skills are so honed that it allows me to get something done faster, more efficient, while it allows my clients to focus on the thing they love to do. And that's being a photographer. So when you say that you are really happy with having hired someone what kind of results do you feel like you're getting from them that you couldn't personally do? And what are some other areas that you think people could benefit from hiring other experts, like not just with marketing? What are some other things that you think could suit an artist best for allowing them to use their time on the thing they love? One of the things my cousin would always ask me is, uh, who are the people that are interested in your work? And I never really knew that. Like, well, you know, what kind of question is that? Like, what do you mean who's interested in my work? Like, you know, I guess anybody who likes it. But there's actually a very 
specific answer to that. And I had no idea how to find that answer. But again, you know, marketing isn't really my thing. It's just something I've been reading on. Art's my thing. So when I found someone, you know, who knew something about marketing and we discovered like, oh, these are the people who are, who are interested in your work. These are the people who are, you know, clicking on your ad. And it was like, wow. I, I guess you really don't know what you don't know. And it, it just changed my whole philosophy. My, my Well, not my philosophy, but my whole idea of what I thought I was doing. You know, things I did in the past, you know, it made sense. You know, when I thought about, like, do I know any of these people who are clicking on my ad? Do I know any similar people? I know like maybe one or two. And, you know, I was like, okay, yeah, they bought work. But, you know, I never knew that's what it was, what separated them from people who just liked the work. And I think that's the biggest thing, because if you're talking to the wrong people, then you'll never be able to reap the benefits of hard work because it's just not the right people. It, sometimes it's hard to tell that they're not the right people because they seem like the right people. And you get stuck in that. And you wonder why you're not going anywhere. Wow, that's really well said. That is that's very wise. I, you know, I, I think that that's something that I'm I, I'm glad to hear. Actually, that's uh, good information for me. But I think that that's something that a lot of artists would benefit to hear. I kind of want to just make a, a a pretty sharp turn here and move into talking a little bit more about your work specifically because I, I was very I'm fascinated, of course, by your all of the stuff that you're doing with your marketing and everything like that. But I, I, you know, the reason obviously I have you on the show and I found out about all your marketing because I was researching about your work, which I already loved. So I want to kind of talk yeah. a little bit more about your work here. And I want to take kind of a step because, you know, we're, we're throwing around the word surrealism. I think most people know what, what surrealism is. And there's a few other artists who are working surrealistically here in town. I, I kind of think um, like Alan Kindler is somebody that kind of comes to mind but it's not not as many. Uh, definitely, you know, you're kind of in a smaller grouping here in Savannah. But I, one of the things I think I find fascinating is that when we're talking about your work specifically, and we're talking about surrealism, is that it's very Savannah-based. You use a lot of images, and you're telling Savannah stories within your surrealism. So in researching, I know we've heard you talk about how you're telling tales of, like, the first day of a new job, the first first day of school, for example, a couple of those kind of things. But then also, like, if you look at the, um, at your work, like, you know, you can see container ships, for example, which, of course, as, as Savannians, we kind of all know about. We, you see kind of marshes, you see the, the live oaks, but it's not like that those things are done in that kind of traditional way where, you know, the kind of stuff that's necessarily like, you know, in a, sold in a tent out in front on River Street to tourists. It's done in its own unique way, but it ties your surrealism into Savannah. So talk a little bit about kind of developing that style and kind of combining your experience growing up as a Savannian with surrealistic ideas. So I want to say the very first time, like, I finally set foot on a path 
that could put me to where I am today. I was over with the same cousin, Curtis, and this was like 2016. And um, he he would give me challenges. You know, say, hey, I, I want you to paint this in such a way, and you know, da da da. So eventually, he gave me this challenge: paint a cure for cancer, for breast cancer. And he was like, when you do it, do it in such a way that, you know, people of Savannah would know or would know, be able to identify with. You know, this was just training to understand marketing. Now, you know, now I'm like painting something with a certain group, a broad group, but a certain group of people in mind. And the idea was, to paint a cure for cancer. And, you know, I didn't really understand, like, what he meant. I'm like, well, how can I do that? So then, he, you know, he went to telling me, you know, about, like, comedians. He was like, comedians and painters have it the hardest because they don't have a studio, like a recording studio, where they can do over things or, or they don't have things to add to them, like a studio can or like a movie studio. It's like, you're all you got, like a comedian. So he went into telling me about like Richard Pryor. He was like, well, you know, Richard Pryor could talk about a heart attack and make people laugh. But if you do it, you're probably going to piss people off. That's the difference (laughs) between you and Richard Pryor. (laughs) So he was like, you got to find a way to do that with your painting. So I was like, okay. So I ended up painting the pink house with like a breast cancer ribbon or something like that over it. And the idea was the pink house can cure breast cancer. So from then on, you know, I kind of would always like take that concept of like something Savannah and combine it with something else. And then it just transcended from there. And that's where I am now. This is what I think is so, and I, I mentioned this at the very beginning, is that you're a Savannah native. So, like, your whole being is constructed by Savannah. You know what I mean? Like, you're wherever you're born, uh, and I, I know everybody knows this, wherever you're born, that's a part of you forever. Like, you can never not be from that place. Like, you might change and be influenced by new places wherever you go, but wherever you're born, like, I only lived in New Jersey until I was four years old. But if I go up to New Jersey for a week, I have a New Jersey accent again because that's where I learned how to speak. Like there's a part of me that's always Jersey, even though I lived there until I was four. Now you've lived, you know, your whole life in Savannah. So you've got even more of that. I'm sort of interested in that process, right? Because it's like, is it um, instinctual? Like, so you're just like, because you said you put up ribbon on Pink House and that's like, Pink House can cure cancer. Like, are you just kind of like, kind of, I don't even want to say meditating on or, or, or reflecting on just like your experience as a Savannian and just kind of like letting that filter like through you to onto the canvas. How does that exactly work? Like, how does it go from broad concept to, I don't know, let's just take another one of your pieces. For example, I, I, I love this one. Ducks at Lake Mayer incessantly doing duck-like behavior, which also makes me laugh because I love the title. But it's got these ducks, and I love like Mayer too, so uh, it's got these ducks, and then it has, like, they're kind of fused with, like, airplane wings, and mm-hmm. there's a, it's chaotic. It's super chaotic, and it makes me think, like, well, where is this coming from? So, like, 
just kind of describe that process for me. Like, how does it kind of all come together? Because I'm really fascinated by that. So, uh, I actually have my sketchbook right here. So, it, you know, it all starts from sketches. And um, let's see this right here. I, when, I, when I just start coming up with a new idea, like, I really don't have anything in mind at all. I'm actually like just just kind of lost, you know, with nothing in mind. That that's, that's the biggest thing is actually I clear my mind completely. And what you just when I just showed you there were they were just random lines that I made with nothing in mind. And you know, as I'm making these lines, you know, I I, I kind of see things, things that, you know, I guess that reside with me. So in that particular picture, I might have saw like some ducks, some airplanes. And, you know, I kind of take that raw sketch and I redraw it again. And this time it's a little bit more clear because I like I know what I was subconsciously thinking. And the, the reason why I do those random lines is it's, it's a way to access the subconscious. Because like I said, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm not trying to make anything. So when I make these lines and I start to see something that's true to what I was really thinking. So, you know, as I, as I refine the sketch and I bring it more clear and I paint it, I really don't have a story. The story comes later. I have an idea of, of what it's probably about. It's very loose, but the story definitely comes when the painting is done. And, you know, when I look at the painting and I say, okay, this is what this painting reminds me of. And I tell the story. That's awesome. I was going to kind of follow up here. I wanted to ask you, so we need to round, start rounding up this interview, but I wanted to sort of, I guess, follow up with this question, kind of a, I think it's a perfect segue from what you just said there. It's like, yeah, I was going to ask you, like, what do your paintings teach you? Because it almost sounds like, it's a learning process, like an artistic learning process and even an intellectual learning process for you because you are really, you're clearing your mind and you're letting it build up from outside and inside. Like it's kind of a combination of the two different things. So what do your paintings teach you, would you say? I think my paintings probably teach me. I think they tell me who I, who, who I truly am. I think it's another way of asking myself, like, who am I? When I when I when I look when I paint these paintings and you know I write these stories, it's like, man, like, is that really what was on my mind? Like, and you know, I I just daydream a lot, you know, and it's like, is that what I'm doing? It basically I would say these paintings are like real life daydreams, daydreams on canvas, if you will. Very nice. Well, look, I want to wrap up this interview now, Britton, and I. I want to give people an opportunity if they want to learn more about you and your work. What is the best way for people to find out about it? How can people get a hold of you? How can people see what you're up to? If you go to my website, it's BrittonDockery.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-O-N, Dockery, D-O-C-K-E-R-Y. Go to my website. Uh, I highly encourage everyone to subscribe to my newsletter. When you do that, you, you get a monthly email. And it tells the story behind the latest painting. It's a very exclusive email. 
because uh, I don't I don't tell the stories all the time to these paintings. But if you want to know, that's how you know. That's awesome. And I also would mention too, if you, you can also a good follow on Instagram at Britain underscore Dockery on Instagram. I, I'm terrible at Instagram actually, but I, I was like, Oh, I should go check them out on Instagram before we went on the interview. And like you post up a lot of the images there that end up making their way on Facebook and also your Facebook page, Britain Dockery art on Facebook is also a really good, um, really good thing. And I, and I, especially for other artists, I mean, I think, I love what you're doing, not only artistically, but I think, and as we talked about, the marketing stuff, I think is really, really good. And I think people can really take a lot of um, the lessons that you've learned and, and put out there and maybe use them in their own practice and such. So, Britton Dockery, thank you so much for spending some time today with us uh, on Art on the Air today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That's all the time we have for this week's episode of Art on the Air with your host, Rob Hessler. Listen every Wednesday for our live show, broadcasting from 3 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time on 107.5 FM, Savannah Soundings, and worldwide at WRUU.org. And you can catch past episodes on the WRUU station archives on our website, as well as on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. We'll talk to you next week, where we'll have another batch of art on the air.